Is everybody's microphones working? Check one, two. Check one, two. You should be able to slide that a little bit more towards your face. You don't have to do that awkward lean in. Okay. Cool. This is pretty neat. How's everybody doing today? Cool. Yeah, I like it. I like it. What about this? Cool. Let's do it, everybody. Hello and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes and this is my podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank everybody for being here. Again, make some noise for yourselves. Thank you. Feel free to make yourselves at home and as, well, not as always, there's beer and soda in a van in the corner. Make some noise for North Country Brewing in the house. I'm sitting here today with three new friends. We could be friends. We're all friends here today. All of us could be friends, but I don't know all of your names, but I do know the names of the people sitting next to me. I'm sitting here today with Lynn, Dave, and Alina. They are the caretakers and whatnot of all of this artwork that you're seeing here in the room today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where we are? We are at the Art of Madness. It's a true crime art show. And to get things started, because I'm sure everybody has a lot of questions if you haven't already taken some time to talk with any of these people today. What are we looking at today? What is going on in this room, Dave? Well, this is uh, a piece, just a small piece of the total collection that Lynn and I purchased from a friend of ours who did this over 30 years as a career, uh, sorry, sorry, during his career as a corrections officer. And uh, he would communicate with these serial killers. He'd send them letters. They would respond in letters. Uh, he would talk them into selling them his art. And uh, gosh, we have, I, as I was telling some of the people, 9,000 letters of, um, so I think it was 213 three ring binders of letters from over 100 different serial killers. And that's one part of the collection. Another part is the framed art, which is, I think we had brought 60 pieces here. We have about 75 framed pieces and another 100 unframed pieces. And then we have like the Heaven's Gate piece, which is a, uh, you know, a tangible object. And then 100 feedback, 100 taped phone conversations of the criminals who used to call Richie and then he would take the conversation. So there's, there's a variety of the serial art, uh, serial killer memorabilia. And this is just a piece that we, we brought to show you. This is my girlfriend, Lynn, we're the co-owners of it. This is our friend, Alina, who is a longtime collector. We are not collectors. We are the owners and the curators of that collection. Alina is a collector. So we, we're approaching it from a different point of view. As does Alina, we can answer things differently than she can. Uh, yeah, our collection also isn't limited to just stuff that they made. Uh, we also have hair samples, uh, clothing, uh, personal items, arts and crafts, which is another aspect that we, was not included in this, uh, in this show. Uh, yeah, let me mention in terms of the hair, we have a, a locker hair from Manson, 
a lock of hair from Gacy, from Norris, from Patricia Ford. Ted Bundy. Uh, Ted Bundy, that's actually, a that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, um, Ted Bundy was friends with uh, Schaefer, who was another serial killer in Florida. And Schaefer befriended the nurse in the um, death row. And he used to go in and he was, Schaefer was kind of a, a celebrity on death row because he was a police officer and one of Florida's first well-known serial killers. So they treated him like a celebrity in prison. He befriended the nurse in the death row and she used to give him certain items. And two of the items that she gave Schaefer were a lock of Ted Bundy's hair when he was shaved for execution and also a chip of the paint from his death row cell. So that's, you know, some of the hair stuff. Um, I don't know. Some Again. people might be interested in how John Wayne Gacy learned to paint so well. Uh, part of our collection is also uh, The Joy of Painting by Bob Ross. <laughs> and it is uh, John Wayne Gacy's copy that he had in his prison cell. Uh, and uh, I guess that's how we learned. Yeah, it, it's a book about so big with Ross's picture on the cover and, and Gacy signed it in about four places. But before, it's well used. <laughs> and before we go any further, Alina, please, you say a few things. We're dominating here. Go ahead. No, I mean, I, I personally never got to correspond with Gacy because, like, I only started 11 years ago. Um, so all my correspondences are, like, from then, you know, on. So I still enjoy the older stuff, but, like, I'm more about the newer stuff and like more about current cases that are going on around the world. And like, I don't just write serial killers. I write literally anyone. Um, I write, yes, terrorists. I've gotten visits from the FBI for that. Um, it was awesome when they came to my house and I was in my pajamas. Um, I'm just like very, very interested in current cases, just anything that like catches my eye and I feel like I need to know what this person's thinking or how they're gonna try to manipulate me, I will write them. And I've had pretty good luck over 11 years, but Richard Ramirez, the night soccer, was the first pen pal I ever had. And we used to talk on the phone and um, I actually found out he was sick through someone like a week before he died. So I uh, swindled a Polaroid from someone for really cheap but that's just part of the game. Um, but yeah, a lot of people know that I sell their stuff and it's, you know, it's no big deal. A lot of them. Tell me about your, your school, school murderers. Oh, so I also, um, I visit a lot of inmates and I correspond with a lot of school shooters because that's something that's really interesting to me and it's a huge issue we have. Um, I don't condone it. I don't want anyone to think that, but it's just very interesting to get into the mind of someone that would do that. Um, considering like none of us sitting here would do something like that. I like to talk to people who would because sometimes they explain themselves, other times they make excuses. But yeah, I've, I've visited like maybe five school shooters um, all over and I've been to an execution. Um, so yeah, I've seen a lot. And every prison is extremely, extremely different. I'll say that. So, Alina, with this particular collection that we're sitting in front of today, um, 
How much of this stuff had you seen in person before? None Is of this it. like Honestly. a lot for you to take in at once? I mean, uh, my friend Rick Statton, who actually was in the original documentary Collectors, got in touch with me and he said, hey, I need help. Um, these people from Long Island contacted me about this collection, these two, and um, they need help appraising it. Uh, would you come out with me? Apparently it's huge. And I was like, sure, because I live in Brooklyn. So I uh, I went and I was honestly floored. I've like never seen so much at once. It was kind of like overwhelming. So I've been back a few times to help them appraise and like talk about everything. But we're not anywhere near done, you know. So sure. But- so you don't even know like what they're like what you haven't found yet right there's a good chance exactly like there's so many bins i've never seen so many bins <laughs> like going through it i'm just like oh my god you have like john hinckley jr and you know just sure all these crazy names that, like i've never seen in person that are like near impossible to get so so yeah digging in again to the original person who collected all of these things how much do we know about this person and we talked a little bit about that they were collecting for 30 something years. Do we know like how they got started in collecting all this stuff? I only know that as um, his career as a corrections officer, he would be able to contact the prisoners and communicate with them. I don't know if that was proper or reasonable to do, but he did it. Sure. And since he's deceased, it really doesn't matter anymore. I mean, it wouldn't. Fly I don't mean now. that in a nasty way. No, but totally. Yeah. Whatever it was, you know, he did it during his career, and um, he uh, he had one hundred boxes, one hundred cardboard storage boxes in two storage facilities of this stuff, and you know, one day uh, we were, we were performing together. I'm a knife thrower. He's a magician, and he goes to me, uh, "Well, let me tell you about the stuff that I have." I said, what do you mean? What, what have you got? And then he starts telling me, and he said, but, you know, maybe I'd like to sell it someday, but I really don't know what I have. I've just been collecting it for so long. So over a couple months, he and I went back and forth to the storage facility and pulled out a box at a time. And I was with my laptop computer typing everything and categorizing everything. And he suddenly realized what he had there in this storage facility. And, you know, it shocked me. It was a total surprise. I didn't know he had this stuff. And then, you know, it just went all back in storage and it was, it's sitting there until he died. And then Lynn and I took it over from there. So what does the collection mean to you now? Like, is it like a historical significance, a cultural significance, a personal significance because it was somebody that you knew who owned all this stuff? Or is it a mixture of all that stuff? All three. Yeah. Uh, When... Um, when Richie was originally approached me about selling some of it, and I approached several people, uh, some of the colleges that were uh, like John Jay College in New York that had a criminal arts program, they and other people that we approached were interested in what Richie called cherry picking. I want the Gacy, I want the Manson, blah, blah, blah. And Richie said, I'll have no part of that. Either they either buy the whole collection or nothing. I'm not going to let it be diminished by removing the high-end stuff and leaving the rest. So I can say to that, when 
Lynn and I bought the collection from Richie's wife, who was also part collecting with Richie. She said to me, do right by Richie. Those have been our guiding words. And, uh, you know, I've scanned all this stuff. So, you know, we're selling some of the stuff, but we're selling not necessarily the best of the best. We're still, some of the stuff that we're here and selling is just like introductory stuff into serial killer murderabilia. But the term do right by Richie is what we're doing here. We're showing the content of his collection and allowing people to create their own impression. We do not by any means, neither Alina, Lynn, nor I, condone what these people did. This, what you see here, is a piece of history, and it's what those people did in prison after they were caught. So, you know, you may see people running up and down outside with signs picketing this whole collection. It's, it, it may happen before we leave here, who knows? You know, victims' rights people that are screaming and yelling that this is horrible, you shouldn't be doing it. Okay, I understand the point of view, but that's good for them. Well, I don't want to interrupt you, Go but, right ahead. but who's really profiting? I mean, think about all the shows that are out, the movies, like the books, you know, like it's all over. It's on Netflix, ID Discovery, like they're the ones that are profiting off of this, really. Why aren't the victims' rights groups going after them? Um, there's actually a man, Andy Cahan in Texas, he's trying to stop the sale of murderabilia completely, which I don't even understand how that's possible because these are our rights. Like, why can't we write to inmates and trade or sell the letters? Why, why does that have to be illegal when I'm watching remake movies of like how Ted Bundy killed people? Like, I don't really understand that. So sure. And, and actually, and let me just say it up, yeah. up there on the wall is a piece by um, Elmer Wayne Henley. It looks like a, an owl. Koala. Oh, a koala bear. This, this, the guy that she was talking about went to one of the art shows and bought some of Elma Wayne Henley's art, walked out in the street, threw gasoline on it and burned it. And he said, well, that's it. It's gone. Nobody will ever have this stuff again. So, you know, good for him. If, the, if he wants to spend his money on it and get it off the market and then burn it, that's his problem. It's not mine. But meanwhile, he yours. also has a collection that he hasn't burned. He buys from us, actually. Um, he buys from people, and he says it's for his presentations, quote unquote. But like, why do you need the actual item? Why can't you just like, you know, do a PowerPoint? <laughs> <laughs> because you're secretly obsessed. This is your life. This is, you know, you're obsessed with it just as much as we are. The world is fascinated by murders and things like that. Like, it's natural curiosity. We can't help it, you know? But I don't see how, you know, burning one piece and then keeping the rest is helping anyone. I don't know. That's just me. Bringing up the documentaries is a really good segue because one of the things that I was thinking about immediately when I saw this event getting announced was that this is almost like a documentary in the form of an art exhibit without the like framing of the people making the documentary. You get to come in here and actually form your own opinion on each of these people based on the pieces. And I think that's really cool. It might not be, you might be putting some really weird things into your brain, trying to put yourself into the, the artistic mindset of some of these people. But 
it's not necessarily a bad thing to do that, to try to understand why somebody would do some of the things that they've done because a lot of times people don't tap into those feelings and it's a whole other conversation that to be completely honest with all of you, I'm not smart enough to have, but <laughs> uh, I think that there's a lot to be said for an exhibit like this and it's really cool that you know we're putting it together because like you said, Alina, like everybody does have that sort of morbid curiosity when it comes to these things. That's I mean, why there's we're like, here. There's probably like 60 people in this room right now that are all here because they're curious about what's going on. So regardless of anybody that might not think this is a great idea, I mean, you don't have to be here. Those people aren't here and that's fine. With though, um, we kind of talked a little bit about this, um, the moral conflicts of any of this stuff. Is there anything with any of you in terms of the moral conflicts about presenting this stuff? I know we touched on that a bit, but it was something that I was curious about because even when I was just posting that, hey, I'm doing this podcast at this thing, I had some people that were like, oh, that's, that's kind of fucked up. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, I guess, but I'm okay. curious to know. I want to learn about this stuff, so I'm going to go talk to them. All right, well, can I just say something? Absolutely. Um, I actually went to school for photography, and there's going to be moral conflicts with anything you do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a documentary photographer, and I might document a group of people or someone that's controversial, but that doesn't mean that I align myself with those beliefs. And I feel like it's my human right to talk to these people. And I'm just going to say it. There are so many innocent people on death row too, that I talk to that are getting executed all the time. It's like, how can you really know? And, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, I'm not excusing anyone's behavior, but like, teenagers, people with mental illness and stuff like that. I'm not trying to broadcast it everywhere. I'm not having a fucking show on Netflix or Hulu, like where the victim's families have to relive it, you know, and I'm not contacting any of them. I'm not throwing it in their face, but it's my human right to talk to these people. So, you know, if someone came to me with a good argument, Sure. And talked to me and said, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you didn't sell my son's stuff or whatever. I, w I would say, OK, that's I completely understand. And that's fine. I won't because I have respect for people and that's cool. But if you come at me aggressively, I'm not really going to listen. <laughs> Talk to me like a normal person and. You know, I'll respect your wishes. That's fine. Fair you know? enough. Fair enough. So right. while we got everybody here sitting here watching us, we got a room full of art. Let's take a little bit of time to maybe go through some of the more key pieces in the room, if you wouldn't mind. I don't know who wants to lead the charge on this conversation, but it seems like something we should probably do. Yeah. So I'll start a little bit here and uh, Dave, Lena, you guys can shoot in as I kind of Please. go through. I'll kind of start for here. Um, the first piece in the upper left-hand corner in the Gacy section right here is uh, Gacy's Adolf Hitler. It was the first piece that I saw out of this collection back in uh, 2012. And it, I didn't know what true crime collecting was, what murderabilia was. I didn't know anything. I hardly knew who Gacy was. I knew he was a clown. He killed a lot of boys and hit him under the, ca the, the house. That, that was kind of it. And uh, when I saw that, and I never saw that, expression everything it hit me and i was like wow what what is in this collection is kind of heavy <laughs> um and then over there you'll also see pogo um and uh, uh over uh, what else is over there the pen artist uh, richard angelo 
He burned down a club, right? No, no, no. In New York? That's Gonzalez. Over, that's Gonzalez. Gonzalez, yeah, that's over there. Oh, we'll skip over to um, just underneath the large Manson uh, painting by Gaxiola, who's an inmate with Manson. Uh, below that is Red and Blue Dot. Uh, that is Lynette Prom and Susan... Susan. Susan. Sorry, Atkins. no, it's Atkins. uh, Atkins. no, Atkins. it's Lynette from and um, Sandra Good. Sandra Good was uh, blue. Yes, and right. Lynette from is red. Was red, and so, I actually have a swatch of um, Sandra Good's shirt for sale. Yeah, I think Lynette from was because of the red hair, and Sandra Good had blue eyes, and he referred to them as red, red and, blue. and blue. And they were his like main girls, so. And that was his tribute to the two girls. They still stand by him to this day, which people don't really know. Um, they're both out of prison, but they're still avid Manson supporters. So those pieces are really unique that he did pieces on them. It's really uncommon. And uh, I just want to chime in real quick. Um, I'm just curious about, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that, for lack of a better word, like, romanticize a lot of this stuff unfortunately what has been like your contact I'm, I'm not even going to ask if you've had interactions with people like that i know you have you had to have so what has that been like um i guess i'll be the one to take yeah, this so i don't know if anyone's familiar with tumblr <laughs> yeah um there's like a big true crime community on there and i used to have a true crime blog but i just posted about cases and just posted pictures i didn't post crime scene photos just kept it really you know as it was just kind of reporting it and i had like close to forty thousand followers before tumblr deleted but seeing all the blogs that like are like in love with you know like school shooters and you know younger shooters it's just kind of like what i've realized is that's like to them that's the accessible celebrity in a way because this person is all over you're seeing their face on the news and they're here and they're there and you can reach out to them and they'll probably write you back and so it's become i mean it grosses me out because it's it's delusional and it's unhealthy, you know, like I'm not saying anything is wrong with having a relationship with an inmate. I had one for a year. I was with a woman um, in Washington for a year. Um, didn't work out. Usually they don't, unfortunately. But, you know, it's mostly like I've noticed people under the age of 21 who like see these young school shooters and are like, oh, my God, he's so hot. Like, I love him. I'm in love with him. A lot of them pretend to have relationships. I mean, it's just the Internet is such a ridiculous breeding ground for that, that I just like try to completely stay away from it because it's like no one's going to listen to me. No one cares. Like, I've tried to talk to younger people and be like, look, like you need to chill out. Like, you know, this is not cool, not cute. It's just not healthy. Uh, you don't know this person. And a lot of the people that they're obsessed with, I do actually know, and I've met. So I'm kind of like, you don't want to get involved with this person. You know, you don't want to write them romantically or whatever. And a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want my parents to catch me. And I say, don't ever write when you're living at your parents' home. 
that's just not, unless you have their permission, it's just not acceptable. So like, I don't condone that whole side. Or you side. want the FBI to show up. <laughs> what? Or you want yeah. the FBI to show up. I mean, it happens. It really, really does. And these people don't understand. Like, I contacted certain people. The FBI showed up to my house. And it can happen if you're my age, 30, or it could happen if you're 15. Who's going to handle it better? Me who lives on my own or, like, a 15-year-old who's with their parents and their parents had no idea that they wrote this person? It's, it's just... It's really unfortunate that that part exists, but it's always gonna exist. And there are people who have true hypersophilia who are attracted to criminals and are attracted to crimes. And then there are just lonely people who just fetishize because these are, in their minds, celebrities that they can contact and reach out to, so. Sure, I think it seems like the best thing that you could do in that situation is just know how to talk to those people and how to word, I don't know, just state your case and make your point to them and whether either they take the information right. or they don't. Right. There's only so much that you can control. I on mean, your I've, own. I've helped a few, but I mean, with every three that I help, there's about 300 that <laughs> I can't get through to. So like, yeah. what the fuck's the point? I mean, I give with, up. With that being said, how many people... If you had to give me a rough estimate, do you think you've been in contact with it for the past 11 years collecting? Inmates? In general, like, pe like just in general, like how many people do you think you've talked to? Like thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds? Um, with my Tumblr and inmates, I would say probably like around 60,000. It's a lot of people. Unfortunately, because they don't really like enjoy it, but you know, like, Sometimes people need advice and I'm, I'm there to give it, especially when it's like younger people who don't really understand what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. Because honestly, writing prisoners, it, I, I mean, I've never had anything happen to me, you know, but when you write prisoners, some of them will trade your info. They'll give other inmates your address. They'll give other inmates your photographs. And it's like, then you get a letter from like, some serial rapist who's getting out in a year. You know what I mean? Oh, and like, that's why I'm, I tell people, if you want to do this seriously, get a PO box, stay safe. I use an alias half the time. It's just how you have to do it sometimes. You never know what you're getting yourself into. It makes sense. You know, I have to be completely honest. This is, I never thought about this at all. But everything that you're saying makes sense. It has never even it's considered. Obviously, there's people doing this, but I'm like, yeah, I just they, never they thought trade, about it. They trade, they trade in, they, inmates trade photos of girl, younger girls who write them. Um, you never know who's going to get your address or your letter. Yeah, you crazy. really don't. And I remember a lot of the girls who are fantasizing. I don't know if you guys remember the school shooter, TJ Lane from Ohio. He shot up Sheridan High School. He had a really big fandom. And he's literally just started handing out his mail. And there were people writing, literally 14, 15 year old girls pretending to be him and saying like really crazy stuff until he got thrown in the hole. And I was the one to be like, these letters are not from him. These are fake. Here are what real letters look like. Here's his real signature. If you see this, this is not his signature. If you're under 18, just please don't write. So. There's only so much I can do. I mean, I, 
it's not my job to raise other people's kids. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely so. not. So let's uh, pick up where we left off on the collection and try to go through some more of these uh, key pieces. Sure. So as we go down, there's um, Julio Gonzalez. He's got uh, some of the cartoons over there uh, at, right under the Black 360 group sign. Um, and he was the Happy Land killer. Uh, his girlfriend worked in the coat room at Happy Land Nightclub, which is an after-hours nightclub in the Bronx. And it was downstairs, only had one exit, the stairway that went up. He got into a fight with a girl. He threw, gas threw gasoline down the stairs, lit it on fire. All 87 people that were inside that nightclub perished. So, uh, yeah, and then if you see these drawings, uh, Richie's wife would also correspond. It, it was kind of a hobby for them. They enjoyed, they understood that the inmates would manipulate them, but they had one up. They were manipulating the inmates to get what they wanted. So that's what you kind of see when you go through the entire collection. Am I right, David? Would you say? Yeah, and uh, let me add that when Richie was doing it, he, he, even though he was a corrections officer, when he would write to them, he told them he was the manager of a titty bar. So he would, he, he would manage like, the dancers of a, of, of a titty bar. So that the inmates would be rather excited and, and in the letters, they would write back to him saying, well, are there any new girls that you've interviewed lately? So he, he got their interest by them thinking he managed the bar and the dancers. And his wife, Barbara, actually went to a strip club and paid the dancers $100 to take their photo. And she explained to them, I'm going to give you $100. I want to take your, a Polaroid photo of you. And I'm going to use that photo as me. So she would she would send a male inmate the, the photo of not her, but explaining that that was her. So of course the inmate would get all excited over this attractive pole dancer, and then uh, then begin corresponding back. Who's the guy that we have the two hundred uh, or twenty volumes? Oh, Bar uh, Robert, Robert, Bart Robert Bardo murdered. Rebecca Schaefer. Rebecca Schaefer. actress. And he, she had, con uh, Barbara contacted Bardo. Do know, not write Bardo. The whole, Do not ever write Bardo. You will never stop hearing. Bardo was a, 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 a total nutcase. And he was, he was yeah. sending Barbara three letters a day. We have literally 20 volumes, three ring binders of, of letters from Bardo, plus tons of drawings that he did. So, you know, the inmate doesn't really know who they're writing to, as long as the person is kind of, you know, at the P.O. box in a pseudonym and perhaps a, a, a make-believe photo of them. So, you know, I, I found that interesting that the, the, the males would respond to Richie thinking he ran a titty bar and they, the, the other males would respond back to Barbara thinking she was this very hot, attractive pole dancer. So they were then like working on this collection as a couple then together. Yes. That's a yes. that's a real special thing to have Hobby. in a relationship, I would say. I mean, I wish my girlfriend would help me out, but she fucking won't. So That's a it's a I imagine it's just 
it probably is a lot of work to start, but I imagine they were doing it for so long, it just becomes second nature and you don't even realize that you're doing it. And like, forgive me for the bad pun, but it's like you're a serial collector. It's almost like robotic. It yeah. becomes kind of mind numbing at times. Like, unless, you know, I, I, I do have a, a few certain inmates that I'm really, really focused on that I feel close to. And it's, it's very different, but a lot of them, they're writing me trying to play me. So I'm kind of playing the role that they want. And I know they're trying to mani manipulate me. I've had inmates tell me that, oh, your your family doesn't care about you. I'm the only one who cares about you. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, when I've said nothing about my family. So it's like, you kind of got to recognize it right away. And that's why I also worry about you, like younger people writing and getting manipulated into it, and, like pulled into it, because you really have to like stay on your game. You have to be on guard with some of these guys. Because you you really never know. They're yeah. on an ego trip. They yeah. want they want to be in charge. They want to be in control. They want they want to guilt trip mm -hmm. you. Any of the letters that I read, and I'll read volume after volume, and I'll go through it, and you just continue to read. Why didn't you answer the phone? I called you Wednesday, Jeez. Thursday, Friday at seven. Yeah. You know? And and then when Richie would write back, he'd have to be like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. I'm I'm horrible. And you know. But that's how he played into it to get what he wanted to get, you know, that was his interest, collecting this, making this and going back to the point is do right by Richie, bringing it to the public, showing people what he found out when he was getting into the minds of madness. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So are there any other pieces in the room that we want to talk about? I'm actually going to open this up for some audience questions if anybody wants to ask them anything in a few minutes. But if there's anything, any other pieces that we wanted to break down real quick. Okay, so something. Um, what, uh, ooh, David, do you have any? Are you, uh, no, I, I, you know, I talk about the clothing. Oh, yeah, that, uh, you know the clothing. Pamela Smart, um, Susan Smith, Christopher Scarver. Chris, yeah, they, Christopher they would, Scarver. They would send their clothing out of the prison. And, and it would be a simple thing. If Richie would say to any female, send me some personal clothing, in a heartbeat, he would have it. He would say, send me some of your hair. They'd clip off the hair and send the hair. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know why, but they did it. It was, yeah, you want it? Here it is. Yeah, I mean, out of their collection, I would really say that I'm extremely impressed with the Joel Rifkin art because he's actually an amazing artist. He's known as the New York Ripper, um, but he has been extremely depressed since being in prison because his mother passed away. So he doesn't really do art anymore. And so to see that, I was like amazed because I've only ever seen one piece of his art. And like, I have letters from him. I have cards from him but he's never sent me art because he just is too depressed to do it so to see all that Rifkin art is kind of like it, it we, blows my mind a little yeah bit. we have uh four pieces from Joel Rifkin uh there's the polar bear and dog I believe and then the sunset angel and the cat and the cat is actually Barbara and Richie's cat they sent a picture of their cat Santara and he drew it for them so uh, that's little bits and pieces of that yeah. uh, group. And I, I think uh, Alina had mentioned about, you know, the relationship you have with it, the inmate. 
John Wayne Gacy, for example, was highly manipulative, highly controlling. And in the, in the letters and in the phone conversations that we have taped, you'd hear uh, Gacy getting angry with Richie, saying, you promised you were going to send me a picture. I want to see a picture of you. And then Richie would send him one like from a distance, like from here to the van in the back of him on a porch where Richie wasn't really identifiable. And then Gacy would get all pissed off at him and said, where's the picture you promised me? Well, it's like a lot of people. I want it. I want it now. And it's like, if you take, you know, God forbid two days, they're like, why aren't you sending? Did you send it? Did you say like, it's, it's not everyone, but some people get that way. Christopher Scarver, who killed Jeffrey Dahmer, he's extremely controlling, extremely manipulative, and he wants it his way all the time. If if you don't respond to him immediately, he flips out. If you don't take his call, he flips out. So it's just like a control thing. They want to control you, some of them. And Gacy was definitely a master manipulator. And if anyone has read the book that Jason Moss wrote, it's complete fabrication, by the way. If you really want to know about Gacy, you should watch Collectors uh, with Rick Staten. <laughs> That's what, because that book is complete BS. None of it ever happened. So. And I need to mention one other letter that we have that's so cool. We have, I think, two letters from Dahmer. You do. To, to, uh, to Richie. And then uh, one, can you read it? Yeah. Sure you can yeah. read it. <laughs> you'll you'll love this letter. When Those are the Holy Grail, I would say, and, and the and they have a binder full of uh, okay. Ed Kemper letters. That that too is like yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, there's the Kemper letters. There's, but this this letter to Richie had wrote. To, uh, you're going to hear the response that Dahmer sent to Richie, but in Richie communicating with Jeffrey Dahmer, Richie mentioned he was a bodybuilder. Uh, in the letter. So now you'll see Jeffrey Dahmer's response to that. Uh, yeah. This is uh, March 18th, 1994. Dear Richard. You sound hello. just like him. <laughs> <laughs> hello. How are you today? I just received your letter this afternoon and thought I'd write back. It's always nice to get mail from someone new. I'd like to get to know you better, but with all the mail that I get, it's difficult to know who I should respond to. So... In your next letter, would you please send me some really good photos to help make your letter, quote unquote, stand out in the crowd? You said that you're a bodybuilder. That's good. I'd like to see every unclothed muscular inch of you. I'm allowed to keep any type of photo except Polaroids, so don't take the pictures with a Polaroid camera, okay? Well, Richard, thanks for writing. I'll be looking forward to hearing from you soon. Sincerely, Jeff. If that doesn't put the hair up on your back, nothing will. I mean, it made me feel really romantic. I don't know. (laughs) Also, the reason you can't send Polaroids is because the prison thinks you're going to hide drugs in them because they could be peeled apart. So while they can send you Polaroids, which is now just Fujifilm Instax, you cannot send them. That's why. But yeah, Dahmer was a romantic guy. What can what can I say? Um, I am like eat my heart out, you know. Uh, I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> I couldn't contain myself. So, does anybody have any questions for the group up here? I have a microphone up here. If you uh, here you can uh, grab this mic and ask these people a question. 
I'm going to look through some of the folders here that I have. Maybe I'll read a couple of other uh, Cool. Documents. That'd be cool. You have a question? Just wondering if you're still collecting or is this it? Well, okay. Speaking to Lynn and I, we are not collectors. We don't actively seek buying stuff, nor do we write to the criminals. We have just purchased Richie's collection and consider ourselves the curator of the collection. And this is our caretaker, first, yeah. the caretaker curator. This is our first showing of some of the collection uh, for your morbid curiosity, if you will. Uh, but Alina definitely is still. I'm actively still collecting and I'm not going to stop. And I even told the FBI that when they came to my house, so I was like, you can come here all you want, but I'm not going to stop. And they were like, okay, whatever. So. In that case, have you considered any of the Western Pennsylvania ser serial killers that have been written about? I mean, I actually have a whole stack of um, letters from uh, Pennsylvania killers, including one from Pittsburgh. 2009, Richard Poplowski had a shootout with the police. I have a ton of letters from him. He's actually getting married soon, and he invited me to his wedding. So I will be attending his wedding, and I will be posting pictures on my Facebook. Um, but, yeah, I correspond with a lot of people from Pennsylvania. Um, also, I don't know if you remember the murder of Jason Sweeney, um, Nicholas Coya, Dominic Coya brothers, Edward Batsig, and Justina Morley, who was kind of behind it all. She manipulated all of them into killing him. Um, I've corresponded with everyone but her. Females don't really like to talk to me. I, don't, I can't imagine why. Um, but yeah, like I have letters from them. I have Edward's ID, his prison ID. Edward Batsig. He was... No, not yet. No. Um, I think the most recent person in Pennsylvania I corresponded with was Cosmo DiNardo. Um, but it's also Pennsylvania recently changed their rules. You can't write directly to the prison anymore. You have to write to an address in Florida where they screen your mail and then they send it to them. So it's become a lot harder. Any other questions out here? Here. You can grab this and then... From this point, if anybody else has any questions, just get it from this nice person that's going to ask something. Um, Elena? Alina. Alina. How do you decide who you reach out to? Or do you just kind of like hope for everyone? I guess I would say one of those that kind of hopes for everyone. I don't know. I just, I'm really interested in juvenile cases, um, like especially juveniles being tried as adults. And I'm really interested in seeing how they've changed. You know, like I've visited a school shooter like 20 years after he committed his crime. That really interests me. Serial killers, the way their minds work really interests me. I really don't discriminate. I kind of just want to talk to everyone. I want to know what's going on, you know? Would you ever pull um, like the chick who did the first season of Serial if, if like you found somebody that you thought was innocent and sort of kind of roll with that? I mean... It's so hard with that because so many people claim to be innocent that it's like, I, that's not my specialty. So like, I can't, you know, I can't help prove it. I feel like if their lawyers couldn't do it, you know, right. like I'm just me, like I'm a photographer, I'm a dog walker, you know, like I don't, 
I don't have any special like training or skills. It's just like I enjoy talking to people and that's really all I can do. Like the most I can do is try to get them help with the innocence project. But like, you know, I, I don't think I could do something like that. And also like, even this is really weird for me because like, I hate attention. So this is like, this is really overwhelming, but yeah. You're no. doing real good. Thank you. So are you. Um, One last part, sorry. Have you ever corresponded with any of like the serial killers that are pretty infamously like unanimous they did it that you think didn't that i think didn't um wow that's a really tough one um doug clark the sunset strip slayer who was uh partnered with carol bundy there's a lot of evidence proving that she did it um also I have a friend on death row in Florida, Michael Bargo. And, uh, he was a teenager and he was part of like, it was like part of, it was a group killing and one kid was killed, but like, he didn't have the motive. The other people did, but they wanted a deal and Florida just wanted someone to put in the chair. So they pinned it all on him. So like, I do think he's innocent. And they were like saying they found his DNA in the apartment, but he used to live in that apartment. So it's things like that, but like, there's nothing I can personally do about it. Right. Unfortunately. What is, what is the Innocence Project? The Innocence Project basically helps inmates who have been, you know, sentenced to crimes they didn't commit. Um, mostly murders, like people who are serving life, people who are on death row. You know, so that's what the Innocence Project does. And it's actually, it's helped a lot of people. Um, I'm actually still very, very torn on the West Memphis Three. Um, I don't know, you guys are familiar with that case? Huh? Damian Eccles and, yep. yeah. I'm very, I'm on the fence about that. I've met Damian many times. I've hung out with him. I have his number in my phone and there's some something with him. There's just a darkness in his eyes and like I, even though I watched those HBO documentaries, West of Memphis or whatever, I just, I still have a feeling that they are guilty. So, unpopular opinion. But. So, as far as the school shooters you've talked to, what has been, like, the overwhelming, like, what do they say? Is, like, there, is there, like, one thing that kind of sets them off to do that, or is it varied? It really varies, but I've noticed that a lot of it comes from um, mental illness that hasn't been like found yet. A lot of it comes from having like a really hard family life. A lot of it does unfortunately come from bullying. Some of it doesn't. Um, I mean, there's only a couple completely unrepentant school shooters that I've talked to. The rest, like I feel like if they got out, they would never harm anybody again. And that's, that's something that I'm like really interested in. But, you know, also we have to remember that when you go into prison at such a young age and you get an adult sentence, you start learning the ways of how to manipulate and trick and get your way. So it's like, even if you're inherently a good person who did something really horrible, like you're only, you're not getting rehabilitation. You're only learning more ways to hurt and manipulate and get what your way, get what you want. So it's really hard for me to say, you know, mm -hmm. like I have faith in a couple, but I still see things in them that I know that they've picked up in prison over the years. 
Are you willing to share any of the people who were school shooters that you've spoken to? Would you like me to? Yeah. Okay, well, um, uh, who? I am. Oh, awesome. Okay. Uh, so I've spoken to Wayne Lowe. Um, he was an Asian school shooter at Bard Rock College. I visited him. Um, I've spoken to Michael Carneal, Heath High, uh, Luke Woodham, Pearl High, um, Kip Kinkle, Thurston High. Um, a recent case here, but it was a school stabbing, Alex Herbal. Um, that was in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that was a... Yeah. 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 And Al Alec Creter, but I wouldn't say he was a school shooter, but he did kill his classmate here and the parents. I think that was yeah. Mannheim Township. Um, let me see. Yeah. Uh, Bobby, Bobby Gladden in Maryland, who actually didn't kill anyone. He was 15 and he was hoping to get to side by cop and he just got tackled and he got a 35 year sentence. Um, when he really should be getting mental health, you know, he was self-harming. He was wanting to die. Of course, wanted with T.J. Lane from Ohio, Sheridan High. Um, Andrew Worst, that was also a Pennsylvania school shooting, I think in 98 or 97, right? Um, he shot up a dance here. He's a real dick. Um, <laughs> He's like a nerd who thinks he's real special and all he talks about is porn stars. And I'm like, okay, dude. Um, he's like, do you have any like really hot girls for me? And I'm like, oh, they're all lining up for you, brother. Um, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I feel like I've almost talked to every living school shooter. I've had a lot of luck with that. I have. I'm sorry. I hope I answered your question. You like did. Adequately. Thank you. Yeah. You got, we're gonna do time. We have time for one more question. If anybody has one, and then we're gonna read another letter, and then we're gonna wrap this up. So. Okay. So first, Pittsburgh question: Does anyone have any information on Robert Wayne Marshall, serial killer here in Pittsburgh? Left pieces, parts of people, and dumpsters all over the city. Robert Wayne Marshall. I know a Wayne. Like, what? I know Wayne Marshall. But he's a white supremacist. So I don't think that that is. It was insane. Robert Wayne Marshall. I don't, unfortunately. Okay, so you. guys, go home, look that up. There was a serial, a serial killer in Pittsburgh, early 90s. I want to say 92. I will be writing him. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, he did. Who said that? Oh, I will not. Either be you knew that him. or you're really quick with your fingers. Okay. Two, you spoke of having audio recordings of the serial. Where can I hear that at? Currently? Yeah, we're considering doing a podcast with them. But right now, they're just sitting in private, in yeah. private files. That okay, we so what do I do? Give me my email address, <laughs> my address, to find out how I hear about this? Well, the website is SerialKillerMurderabilia.com. And the Instagram, Instagram is at SerialKillerMurderabilia. Okay. We might be posting some of those audio tapes, little pieces at a time, for the public. Okay. And Thank you. Maybe we if we can tomorrow, 
maybe we can try and hook it up. Yeah, actually, I have them on the computer. So yeah. maybe tomorrow. I would love to hear the them. people here. We may we may broadcast. They're being modest because a lot of big things are coming. They're just not talking about it. But you guys just wait. You're gonna get to see a lot more, and you're gonna get to hold it in your hands and own it. So Yay, that's you. a promise. Yeah. So what do I do with this? I'll take it back. Okay. Thank you so much. And we're going to read one more letter. Right, Dave? Yeah. This, I, I hope this puts the hair up on your back as it, it does to anyone that I've ever read this to. On that, on that wall there, under the 360, on uh, the top right is a, a drawing by Otis Tool. Otis Tool, along, along with uh, who, who the hell did he confess? Henry Lee Lucas was his partner. Lucas confessed to doing a zillion murders, which probably wasn't true, but they used that excuse to have the police take them out of prison to go on a road trip. Get milkshakes. <laughs> to, to get milkshakes and whatever while they were out to talk about the crimes that they alleged to do. One of the crimes that um, Tool had confessed to was murdering Adam Walsh, who's, who was a uh, young, young Five, kid six. that was kidnapped from a Sears in Florida and then beheaded. Well, and, his dad runs the show. And his yeah. father, yeah. Adam Walsh, started, John, John, Walsh. John Walsh, I'm sorry, John Walsh started America's Most Wanted. But in, in prison, Otis Toole and his cellmate, Juan Vega, is it? Juan. Juan Vega. Okay, so the two of them would... Ah, shit. Hold on one second. <laughs> I scroll too fast. I want to read you one of the poems that these clowns wrote. We have like 10 or 15 copies of the same poem. They would just constantly write them and send them out. Attention seeking. So. Okay, this one is, just bear with me because you got to hear this. Okay, this is Welcome to Hell. We will take your life, eat out your heart, we will rip the core of you apart. We will laugh real hard as you lose your mind. We will crush your skull, then pull out your brain and dance all over whatever remains. We are not taking no prisoners and not taking no slaves. We are taking your soul directly to hell where eternal flames surely await. There you will be in torment with us forever. More till, more till pain takes its course. We will drive you insane and out of your mind till the end of your time. This is for real and surely no dream. Awaken suddenly with blood curdling scream. Jump up, look ahead. We will return to possess you because we are the fire, we are the force, and we have your, the power to make all evil take its due course. We are the cannibal, we are the psychopath, and now we are welcome to our, and now you are welcome to our house with Satan. And that's signed by Juan Vega, the psychopath, and Otis. Um, welcome to Poetry Night, you guys. I bet you don't have to see this coming. This is like just one of the many letters that we have from Otis Toole and Juan Vega, who wrote all this crazy poetry. So as, as, as we begin to read more of the stuff and understand more of it, 
it just blows our mind. As you can see, that is like totally nuts. Uh, I can read one more. If you want. We'll do one more, and then we're going to wrap it up. Okay. The hand of death. Mighty rivers begin with springs of blood, and springs begin with cuts of flesh. Thus, hopefully, our first embrace will always be your final fate. If any luck does come your way, you may escape the hands of Jewel of Otis Tool, who jabs the heart and eats it apart. Thus, the only way which life could bring will be a first of roasted heart and bloody wine, which suits us fine. Florida State Prison Maximum Security by Otis Tool the Cannibal and Juan Vega the Psychopath. Now, how'd you like to get mail like that? <laughs> Every other day. There you go. Thank you. Well, Dave, thanks for that. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> Lynn, Dave, Olina, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, to chat with everybody here. I want to thank everybody for coming out. There's another podcast after this, so stick around. And just so you guys know, uh, Alina has a lot of her stuff here, and she's actually selling a lot of it. Uh, we have some merch and some items for sale, but she's more than happy to talk about everything that she has brought here and for you guys to look at, possibly purchase, and uh, just pick her mind. I will give you resettable prices. Ask me about anything. If I don't have something here, I might have it at home, and I'm always happy to like help with anything. Cool. So, uh... That's all, folks. Thanks so much for watching. Gonna wrap this up. I wanna thank you all for being here again one more time. Lynn, Dave, Alina, thanks for being here. My name is Sykes, and Queens of NC17 are coming up next. Stick around, get a beer, do a pee, do a poop, do what you gotta do. Just don't kill anybody, okay? Thanks. <laughs>